You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, folks, to our next position evaluation show here on Big Blue View, your source for New York Giants news and analysis. If you're looking for more breakdowns, news, anything on the New York Giants, head to BigBlueView.com where you can find all of our fantastic content. And as well, if you want to keep up to date on all of our podcasts, hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. So, so far we've done multiple position groups. We've done the quarterback group. We've talked about the running backs. We are now moving on to the tight ends, which is overall a pretty disappointing group. And we're going to break down some of the problems that we saw this year from all three guys, Caden Smith, Evan Ingram, and Levine Toilolo. And then we're going to get into, for the second half of the show, what to expect for the offseason, what the possibilities are for specifically Evan Ingram, and then maybe the possibilities of some draft selections in the middle or the end of the draft, even possibly first round if they want to go with a very specific guy that Chris has talked up a ton. So guys, let's get into discussing this, though, uh, in the overall disappointment And the first angle I want to attack this on is I feel like we had an expectation that from Jason Garrett having really good production with his tight ends, understandably he had Jason Witten as his tight end for the longest time in Dallas. I think that we maybe thought that we were going to get not at that level, but at least quality production out of Evan Ingram. But it seems like the the usage from all three guys and particularly Evan Ingram was, was very questionable. The one play that we were talking about a little bit before the show that we've talked about a ton during the season, there was that one stick route play where uh, every time Evan Ingram cut, or if it wasn't Evan Ingram, it was it was typically Evan Ingram, it either led to a deflection, an interception, or some type of a turnover, and they kept calling it. It just never worked. So there were just a lot of things, I think, with the, with the offensive play calling in the scheme that didn't really benefit these tight ends. And we just didn't get the production, I think, that we were hoping for coming into the fourth year of, of Evan Ingram. Uh, <laughs> it just seems like that's the story of Evan Ingram's career. He had that promising rookie season, and we were all excited about him. First round draft pick, had all the athleticism. It just needs to put it all together. And then he deals with some injuries. It's like, yeah, you know, well, he has some of these injuries going on. They're nagging injuries, kind of affected his play. Then going into this year, he was a fantasy darling. Everyone's like, oh, Evan Ingram, Jason Garrett's offense. It's going to be his year. And then it just did not happen. And he actually was kind of a detriment, despite the fact that he was a Pro Bowl selection. Because how many times he had, what, I think two fumbles that resulted in turnovers. He had, I think, three interceptions that were directly basically his fault. The ball mm-hmm. bouncing off of his hands, popping up to a defensive back and being intercepted. It, it was 
it was not a good season for Evan Ingram. And it's, I think the opinion of him is incredibly low among the Giants community. And there's reasons for that. And it stinks because, you know, the guy goes in there, he tries incredibly hard and everyone kind of hates hearing that at this point. And I think his blocking has come along, but he definitely is not known for his blocker. I mean, his frame just it's, doesn't suggest somebody who would be a blocker. And right now we're just like, well, what exactly does he do well other than the fact that when you get the football in his hands in space, he can make people miss? Go back to his rookie year. He, We talked about the stick route. Strangely enough, the stick nod was an almost indefensible route from him. You know, he, he scored a... a a bunch of touchdowns with that route. But then again, you talk about as time goes on, he did get pick up some injuries, some little things, and his usage changed under Ben McAdoo, his second year. And then under Pat Shermer, we saw him do just nothing but three and five yard crossing routes. Then we, I think we all kind of hoped under Jason Garrett, you know, a more vertical offense. He's obviously the, the giants best their best option for an X like receiver, I think is maybe the most accurate way to put it. But then he didn't get nearly as many of those opportunities as we thought he would. Uh, He wasn't put in great situations. He didn't react terribly well when the ball came to him. Like you said, he had drops, he had fumbles, he had deflections. And also I don't know if it was, if it is that the Giants quarterbacks do not trust him or if he does not trust the Giants quarterbacks or what, But one thing Joe and I wound up remarking on pretty much every single game was how the quarterback, and it didn't really matter if it was Daniel Jones or Colt McCoy, especially on that stick route, would stare at him from the moment the ball was snapped until they threw it. And there would would always be a defender right there. So it, it was just disappointing from everyone involved. And then honestly, I was also disappointed in Caden Smith. I don't think he took the step forward any of us expected him to and Levine Toilolo all had all of um, what five or six receptions. So he basically got paid a million dollars per reception. <laughs> and honestly, but I just want to circle back to Ingram before we hit on Caden Smith and, and Levine Toilolo. I, I was just so perplexed how, uh, you know, a guy that is supposed to be a, uh, a height, weight, speed guy to an extent, six, three, uh, I think he's like close to 230, but runs that 4-4. The expectation with a guy like that, and I think what would lead to what most people would accept, uh, expect with a limited knowledge of football, that they're going to beat a lot of tight ends, or sorry, not sorry, a lot of linebackers in coverage. So I just didn't understand why, even over the past couple of years with different offensive coordinators, why we didn't see, and you met, you mentioned this, Chris, why we didn't see more vertical route concepts from Evan Ingram because like I, I just don't understand how you expect him to get open over the middle the way that they were using him. It's just I, I don't understand why they were not trying to stretch the field with a guy who was arguably the fastest receiver that they had out of the group. I mean, if we're just talking about pure speed, he was one of the fastest guys. He was one of the they had a lot of really fast guys with good 40 times, but I just I felt like they were constantly trying to pigeonhole him as a different type of tight end when he's not really even a tight end. That's the argument that I've always made here is that, and you mentioned it, Nick, not really built to block. He's never been a very good blocker. He's been able to kind of get the job done, but never in a, at a level that you're like, yes, I want him blocking on 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 third and one. He, he, provi- he presents no threat of doing that. And it almost begs the question of, you know, if he's going to just end up running some type of diversion in those situations. But um, I, I just, I was just so frustrated why they didn't try to use him as a really big receiver 
And it's just constantly been trying to get him to play tight end when he's clearly not going to be successful as just being a tight end. And he was more successful doing other stuff in college as well. It just, for me, Evan Ingram overall, I think epitomizes why we're frustrated with this group is that, you know, the drops, the, uh, the errors on the field, and then not even being properly used, I think is a big contribution to why he's just not lived up to the hype that we thought he was, we were going to get from him. I think the proper use thing is definitely accurate, Joe. And also, it's just defensive coordinators see him on the line of scrimmage and they're like, oh, yes, we're going to attack him with our primary edge and good right. luck trying to block someone like TJ Watt or something like that. And to circle back a little bit to the vertical aspect, I think we all agree that we would like to see him used a bit more vertically down the field, like the catch against the Bengals. That was really good. And then you go to the time when he actually won at the line of scrimmage with an excellent release against the Eagles, got vertical, and then he dropped the pass. So there were times where he was used in that manner, but I just don't feel like it was enough, really. I feel like it was way too many stick routes like we already kind of alluded to. And it it really is frustrating. You could tell the Giants especially early on in the season with Jason Garrett, put a precedent on getting the ball in Evan Ingram's hands. We saw it on end arounds. He scored on an end around against the Dallas Cowboys. We saw it with those quick little stick routes that just wanted to get the football in his hands and have him make a play. But the errors, man, the errors just kept compounding and compounding. And it just, it became this, just this really unfortunate thing for this young player. And I, I think you. I think it's a, a lot of people's problem, to be honest. I think Jason Garrett didn't do the best of jobs getting Evan Ingram the football in the most advantageous ways. I think they realize we don't have that many great playmakers. So let's try to really feature him, and he doesn't necessarily have the hands to do it in those quick stick type type of situations where he runs five yards down the field and quickly sinks his hips and turns back to the quarterback because that ball's already coming out and he doesn't have the kind of reaction skills or the concentration skills to kind of haul in those passes. He also catches the football really weird. I, I always say, mm-hmm. I know he went to Ole Miss, he was a rebel, but he m- might as well be a Florida Gator because he chomps the ball. He literally <laughs> chomps on the ball. He does not catch it well. It's very, very awkward type of motion for Evan Ingram, but I mean, he's still an incredible athlete, and I hate to say it, but he's more of an athlete than a football player at this juncture. It really is, and I mean, that sucks, and it's kind of disrespectful to, to say things like that, but it, I mean, can I, is there an argument against it? No, I don't think so. I think when you get to year four, if you, because when you come in the NFL and you're, and you're a first-round pick, an early draft pick, I, I think ultimately it's... Sometimes you're not going to be fully developed. Most guys are not fully developed. A lot of those picks are teams banking on upside. And I think the Giants at the time saw, wow, this guy's a great athlete. He's He's got a good size. We can make him a deployable weapon. We gotta, we're going to figure out how to use him. Multiple coaches later, no development later, he's basically the same guy. And you don't you have to go from an athlete to a tight end, and he's still an athlete. Athletes, after four years, they don't stick around. Guys like that, they can't figure out how to play the position that they're supposed to be playing. Don't stick around. This isn't college where they can just throw somebody out there and make plays. Some, you have to develop some type of a role in the NFL. Absolutely. And, and one play that I think worked for the Giants, but that slot vert with Golden Tate, a reason why a lot of those were open was because it was a three-by-one set with Evan Ingram, two-point stance tight to the line of scrimmage. He would run that deep horizontal cross and take that center field safety, that middle of the field close safety away, allowing Golden Tate to kind of have success in the one-on-one situations. I think that was one play that Jason Garrett used Evan Ingram and it was like, okay, that's a smart way to use him kind of as a diversionary tactic for a player like Golden Tate, who let's be honest, I mean, he's just a little bit over the hill, but we need to see more of that 
from Jason Garrett. And he's coming back for another year. Evan Ingram is going to be there. Hopefully the Giants have some more skilled position players and then they can kind of unlock a different aspect, different explosive acts, aspect to this offense. But we just didn't see it enough last year. But that's one instance where I saw him do it in several games and I was like, all right, that's that's a solid move right there by Garrett. Yeah, and just to go back to you know, talk about when he was drafted as kind of a an athletic, uh, movable piece. I really do think when he was drafted, you think back to the Giants' offense that that previous year. Their offense was basically neutralized by two man, uh, a cover two shell, man man coverage underneath. They didn't really have any kind of a player who could attack seams, who could exploit the uh, exploit the vulnerabilities of that, that style of defense. And I really think that's why Jerry Reese went out and got Evan Ingram as, you know, somebody who could, you know, if defenses wanted to try to lock down Sterling Shepard and Nodell Beckham, well, then fine. Here is a hyper-athletic tight end type player who can run those seam routes, who can get vertical, who can attack the voids in those coverages, go ahead, use him, rip those pages out of the defensive playbook. And, you know, for some reason, we just have not seen that carried forward through any of the coaches after, you know, maybe a few plays in 2017. That's exactly what we needed. Somebody to split the Split safety looks and not somebody to block for Eli Manning, Bobby Hart, <laughs> Eric Flowers were the starting tackles that year. Yeah. That's just, that's- <laughs> we don't need to go too far into into the past, but I, <laughs> that's definitely a good point to throw in there. But I do want to hit on just to wrap up this this conversation on what we saw from the tight end group during the season. Uh, Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo. I, I don't know why, but I and, and Chris and I were talking a lot about actually we do know why. Chris and I a lot before the season were talking about how Caden Smith could emerge as one of the better tight end twos in the league. There's not a lot of teams that have uh really strong tight end pairings. And we didn't really get a whole lot from Caden Smith. Not really a much of a on-field contribution from him I feel like he was blocking a lot which is good and he ended up grading really well on a bunch of um, a bunch of random games where he had like a couple catches per PFF Um, but Levine Toilolo I think was uh, I wouldn't say he was disappointing but it's just like I don't even know why he was there He, he just was out there to get called for penalties I feel like that was his only usage was just getting called for really dumb penalties and then he would come off the field I I don't think he's coming back. I think Levine Toilolo is the one guy that we can say out of this group is probably not returning next season. Which is probably for the best, to be honest, because yeah. he did not look like the blocker that he was built up to be. He's a bit over the hill. He's center gravity pad level are way too high. But to Caden Smith's point, I think we can all agree we wanted to see him a little bit more involved as a receiver, but I don't want to knock him for that because I don't believe that was his fault. I think right. it was a product of the system. His main role in this system was to be the pulling tight end on those counter plays, which was the base run play that the Giants love to run. And honestly, man, he was like sweet tooth from Twisted Metal because he ran around with his hair on fire, just absolutely <laughs> annihilating linebackers. And he actually really impressed me from a blocking standpoint. I think he took a jump from year one to two, and that's what Joe Judge and Jason Garrett both want in the offense. But I do want to see him a bit more involved because I think he's capable of being a solid receiving option for Daniel Jones. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. You know, I think he is a good good, solid tight end two. I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a TE one, you know, the guy you can be out there to have out there in 11 personnel and, you know, trust to be the primary blocking tight end, as well as a primary receiving threat. You know, the guy who kind of scares linebackers or is out there benefiting. If the giants are able to find a 
true number one X receiver and, you know, do all of those things that you ask a good number one tight end to do. But, you know, that doesn't have to be his role. You know, he's, if he can come in and be a good TE too, that is absolutely fine. You need those guys too. (laughs) And we're going to end up talking a little bit more on what to expect from this group very soon. And I think this is a good time to transition that focus to what can we expect and what do we think could possibly happen with this, with this tight end group and Evan Ingram specifically. And we're going to get to that very, very soon right after we take a short commercial break. So to illustrate where Evan Ingram currently sits, he's got one year remaining on his contract. That contract from, I think it was Spotrack that I got it from, he is expected to make $6 million in his final year. I believe it's his fifth year option uh, of his, his rookie contract. That then puts out a couple options here where they keep him on the roster and they see what they get out of him. He's probably going to start if he, he's definitely going to start if he's still here. Um, and they try to see if he can play up to the level that they've hoped that he could in a contract year. And we, we tend to see that. We tend to see guys realize like, damn, if I don't play good this year, next season I'm going to be making less money. I need to go out. I need to step things up and and have a really good fifth year in my in my year in the league. So um, they're probably going to – that's one of the options where they can see what he's capable of doing in, in a final opportunity to get a feel for what what he's able to do. And then the other option, which is an interesting one to consider, is – trying to trade him this offseason, which he's always been floated out there. His name has been always tossed out there uh, over the past couple of years of maybe being traded to the Patriots always keeps getting brought up. Maybe the Giants do seek that avenue of trading him. He's a cheap tight end. They could probably get like a mid-ish round pick for him if they tried to do something like that, if they tried to get rid of him. Um, but for me, those seem like the two best options. Trading him, seeing what he can do, re-signing him if he looks good, letting him walk if he doesn't. Do you guys kind of agree with me here that that seems like the best option for Evan Ingram? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty much where I am right now. Uh, I think the more likely of the two options is to treat this year, 2021, as just a one-year prove-it deal. You basically treat him as a guy you picked up on a one-year contract, see what he's got, if he can produce, great, because his ability to make big plays, you know, when he's on, I don't think anybody can question that he is a guy who can scare defenses. But if he doesn't show up, or if he maybe even plays a little bit too well, you can afford to let him go. But then there also is the trade question, and I think it comes down to what kind of value you could get for him. I I think the Josh McDaniels presence, and also I believe uh, Bill O'Brien is back with the Patriots, is he? No, Bill O'Brien's no. with uh, Alabama. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yep. I knew there was a Saban Belichick <laughs> link in there somewhere. But the way the Patriots have used their tight ends in, a pa- in the past, that would be a good landing spot for him, I think. I could also maybe see him going down to uh, like Jacksonville. Was, you know, one trend I've kind of noticed is that when Dave Gettleman trades a player, he, he tends to send them to maybe a, we'll say maybe ascending or rebuilding team, you know, he's probably wouldn't trade Evan Ingram to Kansas City, for instance. <laughs> I think it would it would all depend on that compensation, obviously. It, it, exactly, and that's also another reason why I think maybe Jacksonville, just because they are they have so many picks right now, where mm-hmm. if they decide they want want to 
take a swing on Evan Ingram for Trevor Lawrence, uh, they've got picks to spare. It's not like a team that would be, you know, maybe you get like a low three or a low four for him. You know, maybe you could get, you know, something decent, but I think probably a, uh, that one year prove it opportunity would be more likely. I, I agree with Chris. That's what I think. I think the the coaching staff and just the Giants in general really like Evan Ingram. I like that they like the fact that he has this incredible work ethic and he's always working on his craft. And I also look at it from a trade perspective. Why would you offer anything that's not like, why would you offer anything above a fifth round pick for a player who caused multi, like five turnovers last year and kind of led to the Giants losing some games despite the fact that he was a pro bowler. I get it, but he had a bad, he did not have a great season. He's going to be a free agent maybe next year. So I, I don't know if a team would do that right now and trade those draft assets unless they really wanted a tight end who has that high athletic ability, can't really block all that well. That was already a proven commodity, uh, quote unquote, I guess you could say, because these rookie tight ends coming to the league, they tend to struggle. So that would be, I guess, one Jacksonville, I think is an interesting team that you threw out there, Chris, but I, I think it's going to end up being him playing in one year prove it deal for the Giants. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you guys here. I, I think that the chances of him staying and, and trying to see what you can get out of him is probably the best. And ultimately, they, if they do decide to just come into this next season, keep him on the roster, not even considering it, there's still a potential for them to eventually trade him before the trade deadline or at the trade deadline. So that, I think, uh, the, the fact that they, if they hold on to him, it, it gives them more options, I think, is a little bit better. Um, but if they're doing well and they're winning, they're probably not going to get rid of Evan Ingram. But the I think the other avenue that we can consider now is if Evan Ingram's got one more year left, you want to light a fire under his ass, and then you also want to have a guy that can step up immediately in their second year when Evan Ingram is gone. I think that opens the door for the Giants to consider drafting a tight end. And I feel like we're, we're always bringing up these position groups and saying that the Giants are could draft the guy at any of these positions. But when you're trying to build a team, you need to have good, strong depth. You need to have young guys that can step in and contribute. They're probably not going to spend a first-round pick on um, a tight end. And I know, Chris, I know that you're just chomping at the bit to talk about why it's going to be Kyle Pitts. <laughs> but, but I, you know, that one to me is possible depending on how they value Kyle Pitts. I think Kuiper actually had Kyle Pitts as the Giants' first round selection. So it's not impossible. I think the guys like Brevin Jordan and Pat Fryermuth probably are a little bit more off the radar because they're going to be, uh, you know, early two, somewhere, in, uh, somewhere on day two. But the rest of the guys, if they're going to take someone, I think it might be a little bit later on. Well, obviously, if the Giants draft Kyle Pitts at 11, they're not drafting a tight end. They're just drafting a really big wide receiver. <laughs> hey, I got to stay on brand here. Kyle Pitts, that would be really interesting. I think you're, you're onto something with it. it would be a bigger type of wide receiver. He's not exactly the best, most effective blocker. A lot of people like to make Evan Ingram comparisons because of that. And that's just very disingenuous to Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is an exceptional receiver. His receiving skills are outstanding. I'm not just talking about catching the football. I'm talking about body adjustment, body control, just the rapport that he had with Kyle Trask on those back shoulder throws, how smooth he is in those kind of aspects. He's not going to be somebody who's going to be a receiver and just be able to create separation with uh, pure athletic ability, but his route running, his ability to win at the line of scrimmage, all of these things just lead to him being a good receiver and not necessarily just a tight end. I, I would be curious to see if the, cause I know the giants love 12 personnel, mm -hmm. but I would be curious. If the giants would want to bring in a, a tight end quote unquote, even though he's more of a receiver that 
struggles with uh, blocking at a, at a high rate. Yeah, and that's why I say if you're, if you're drafting him, you're drafting him as a receiver. I would go so far as to just name him the X receiver and be done with it. Like, I know you could create a lot of really interesting matchups. And I, as I say this, I realize I'm going back over uh, ground we've already covered back in the wide receiver show. Yeah. But, you know, you could create a whole bunch of interesting matchups with Kyle Pitts. But, you know, why make things too complicated? Just make him an X, leave him at X, let him be Plax part two. But then maybe some a little th- bit later on in the draft, I got to say, uh, mm-hmm. Trey McKitty out of Georgia, he caught my eye at the senior bowl. They they did not use him as a receiver at all. I think he I think he caught even fewer balls than Levine Toilolo, but he looked really smooth. And I he had one of the highlight catches of the week for me with that great kind of almost diving one-handed catch. You know, I, I thought that was great. I didn't think he had that in him. And he's a solid blocker already. McKitty... He was, for those of you who don't know, he went to Florida State and he transferred to Georgia. I think he only had like six catches in 2020. And then he goes down to the Senior Bowl and he shows pretty good receiving skills. I also think you could throw Kenny Yeboah's name in there, the kid from Ole Miss. He's another one who has solid receiving skills. And if we're going to go with blockers later, I really like Boise State's John Bates who went down to the Senior Bowl. He was somebody who really showed that he could hold the edge really well. I think these are the types of tight ends, Jason Garrett and and Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman want when they run this heavy personnel packages. They need tight ends who can hold the line of scrimmage. I think John Bates and maybe even Justin Rigg from Kentucky are solid names to pay attention to if you're looking for blocking tight ends, which I do believe they should add someone like that. So last note that I just want to throw out here um, before I wrap up the show, and and honestly, the, the more that I consider it, Chris, the more that it makes sense to me that Kyle Pitts is going to be the selection because regardless uh, if they take Kyle Pitts, Giants fans are going to be pissed because it's going to be, as we've talked about here, another tight end that is more of a receiver than a blocker. And then on top of it, it's just like every single time that we think it's going to be somebody else, it ends up being the more unexpected name that's taken off the board by Dave Gettleman. So if it's going to happen, if it's going to be the most random player possible taken at 11, Kyle Pitts is probably the most random player that we can think of. <laughs> right, right, Chris? Uh, either that or we're back to uh, Marvin Wilson. <laughs> Right. Never know. We know that uh, good old Dave loves his his big meaty guys, as we talked about on the defensive tackle show that is coming out on Thursday. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review and also head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. We'll talk to you next week, folks. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.